0: Thank you, Aubrey. All right, ladies, I'm glad you've decided to join me, because idolatry isn't a topic that our pastors usually go over, right? You don't usually get the sermon series on idolatry. It's usually like love or joy or Christmas, something like that. Uh, But idolatry is actually mentioned 200 times in the Bible. It's mentioned a lot. Um, Just to give you kind of a concept here, miracles are mentioned 27 times, Heaven's mentioned over 600 times, so idolatry is 200, kind of middle of the road there. Um, Today, I'm going to state the case that idolatry is still happening around and in us, and my hope today is that we'll be able to recognize it and then take biblical action against it. My name is Laura Shields. I'm one of the women's directors here at Hume Lake, and back at home in Lodi, California, I'm a biblical counselor. This morning, uh, or this afternoon, we're going to talk about God's plan to be your God. So um, if you got a sheet, um, they're at the tables there, but I think everybody should have one. So you'll see, um, we're going to go over God's plan to be your God, God's reaction to idolatry, and the hope that we have, how to identify and take action against idols in our life. As we get started, there's going to be times where you can turn to a partner. So um, it's going to be a little interactive. This person can be a friend or a stranger, but I want you to identify that person now because I know you guys are going to get real chatty. Um, so go ahead, identify that person, and then as women trickle in, just adopt them into your group. Over two hundred times, uh, miracles is mentioned twenty-seven times. Heaven is over 600 times. Yeah. Okay, everyone have their partner? We're good? It can be just just two people if you want, or it could be a group of three too. Two or three is fine. We're not going to be real on that. Okay. Um, All right. We want to be fully dependent on God. Let me me just pray once again for us. God, thank you uh, for bringing us here on this rainy day. Um, be with my words. I pray that they would be clear, that they would be from you. Give us truth today because that is ultimately what we need. Uh, Your truth brings healing. And so, God, I pray that um, you would be with uh, this seminar in this next hour. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We want to start with the good news that God wants to be your God. He wants to be close to you. He wants to live with you. So let's look in Genesis in the beginning to see how God intended to live with us. I'm going to read Genesis 2-7 and then Genesis 1.27. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. So God created man in his own image, God, who is creator, created man. God was close enough to breathe the breath of life into man. And then God blesses them and says, I've created everything that you would have dominion over it, and I've given you all the provisions of food that you need. The God of the Bible is good. He is steadfast in love. He is trustworthy. God created man to worship with our time, talent, and treasure. This means how much we do something, what we actually do, and how much money we put into it. The God of the Bible created us to worship him alone and be in his presence. 2 Corinthians 5.9 says, Whether we are home or away, we make it our aim to please him. Very simply, whatever we do with our time, talent, or treasure should ultimately reflect our aim to please God. Anything in our lives that gets more attention or affection than God can and will become an idol in our life. So there's a problem. God wants to be your God and make it our aim to please Him because we've been created by Him. But you and I live in a secular culture that's trying to do away with God completely. And at the same time, it's constantly encouraging us to rely more on ourselves our feelings, and our accomplishments. We're going to turn to Jeremiah 2.13. So feel free to turn there with me. In the book of Jeremiah, he's talking about idols a lot. During the time of Jeremiah, the Israelites have been feeling the pressure of the outside empires of Assyria and Egypt... And in Jeremiah's time, they'll be held in captivity to Babylon. They are not a free people. They're surrounded by the idol worship of the polytheistic culture they're living in, which is exactly what they experienced in Egypt as slaves. So Jeremiah 2.13 says this, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Israel is a people of the desert. What essential element do you need in order to live in the desert? Water. So the Israelites who Jeremiah is talking to, they already understand the importance of water for life. Jeremiah also describes a cistern. What is a cistern? It's a large carving in the bedrock of the ground that could hold clean rainwater runoff. And it doesn't rain often in the desert, so when it does, you want to collect as much as possible. That water would then be used for drinking, cleaning, and occasional sacrifices. But Jeremiah doesn't just mention cisterns. He's referring to broken cisterns that can hold no water. This is the picture of you going to the faucet and using a strainer to fill up to get a drink. Now that you have that image in your mind, that's the imagery that the Israelites would have had for a broken cistern. It would have meant foolishness to them. Also notice that Jeremiah mentions two evils that are happening, two sins. The first evil is that they've forsaken God, meaning... God's people have forgotten or disregarded God as essential to their life, the giver of life itself. And the second evil is that they've hewn out broken cisterns that can hold no water. God's people would rather give up on the creator and what he provides for them and figure out life for themselves by creating their own saviors, which aren't able to save and satisfy them at all. To forsake God for idols is sinful. Let's take a look at God's people in Exodus 32, where we will see them in the desert. So go ahead and turn to Exodus 32. Looking at the Exodus account, God had freed his chosen people, the Israelites, from slavery in Egypt and took them into the desert so that they can worship him. This is the reason he frees them. This is what he tells Moses to tell Pharaoh, let my people go so that they can worship me. They're in the desert and God gives the Ten Commandments to his people. God and the Israelites make a covenant, like a marriage... And God says, I will be your God, and the people agree and say, sign us up, we're all in. And the first commandment of the 10 is, you shall have no other gods before me. So right away, we can observe that God is serious about his fame and worship for his people, but also that God knows their hearts will want to worship things other than God. Anything that takes the place of God in fame or worship is an idol. That's what idolatry is. It might not be a visible idol like a statue, but it can be an idol of our heart. It could be a good thing. It could be sex, food, love of country, pets, sleep. Keep in mind... That in Jeremiah and Exodus, we're addressing God's people. People that agreed to be in covenant relationship with God. So if you're a believer in this room today, this is us. And what we're going to see is that even as believers of Jesus, we fashion and carry our idols close to us, and we use them frequently. Now the Israelites are in the wilderness at the bottom of Mount Sinai, and Aaron, the brother of Moses, has been left in charge. Because Moses is back up on the mountain getting blueprints from God of how to build the tabernacle where God will dwell. God wants his presence to be with and among his people, showing himself to be the same God as in Genesis. So let's take a look at what the people are doing. Exodus 32. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain... Gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron, and he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool, and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day, and offered burnt offerings, and brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat, and drink, and rose up to play. What is happening in this text? Moses is talking to God while the Israelites are at the bottom of the mountain. But Moses is delayed according to the people, which means that they are in a state of waiting on God, and they can't wait any longer. So they give in to replacing God with something that looks like a God. Now, the golden calf would have been something that they were familiar with, from egypt where they were just freed from think of a time when you've been in a season of waiting on god waiting on god to provide with a different job waiting on god for healing waiting on dreams of being married waiting on that court case to be settled We wait so long that we start to forget that God's timing is perfect and he's still thinking about us and he's still over all things. We forget. We forget his character, that he's faithful and he wants his good for his people and we turn to anything else in this world that will satisfy us in the moment. We commit two evils. Forsake God and make broken cisterns. And we are deeply deceived when we do this. Here the Israelites turn to eating, drinking, and play, which in other texts versions means lewd or sexual acts. In our culture, we can definitely see this today. Food, alcohol, sex are our main idols. We're deceiving ourselves by grappling for control, joy, or comfort in these things besides God himself. We so often forget what it's like to have direct access to the fountain of living water in the desert of life. And in our desperation, we worship what we can see and touch rather than wait on God and his promises. God sees what's going on from the mountain. He sees everything. So what is his response? If we kept reading in Exodus 32, we would see that after the Israelites worshiped the golden calf, God's anger was against them, so much so that he wants to destroy them. Psalm 106, 19 to 23, sums it up like this. They made a calf in Horeb and worshiped a metal image. They exchanged the glory of God for the image of an ox that eats grass. They forgot God, their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham, and awesome deeds by the Red Sea. Therefore he said he would destroy them, had not Moses, his chosen one, stood in the breach before him to turn away his wrath from destroying them. Skip down to verse 39. Thus they became unclean by their acts and played the whore in their deeds. God's anger is the reality of how he views idolatry. Anything put in the place of him. The way he sees idolatry is that of a bride on her wedding day having taken her vows and sleeping with another man that night. God knows what will actually satisfy us in this life, which is him, and he has good things planned for us and his people if they would repent and keep his commandments. So how do we not commit the sin of forsaking God? Psalm 106, 21 gives us a clue. Look at that. Verse 21 says, They forgot God, their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham, and awesome deeds by the Red Sea. Number one, they forgot God in their waiting. Ladies, don't we forget God? We forget his character. We start to assume that he's like us. We forget what great and wondrous and awesome things that he's done. So I want you to sit for a minute and think about something awesome that God has done in you, through you, or around you? Is it that he's given you a family full of saints who discipled each generation? Has he preserved your life when there was no way you should be alive today? Or maybe it's a miracle baby, like Julie talked about, that the church community prayed for, and everyone knew, according to science, that this this life of a child wouldn't be possible. We're forgetful. So we need to renew our minds daily of who God is and remind each other of his character and remember the great things that he's done. Thank God in your prayers for his attributes. God, you are patient, infinitely wise, sovereign, We need to be in God's word daily because our souls are weak and we need the reminder of who God is. This is also why we attend church, to gather with other believers to remember who God is every week (laughs) because we forget and then turn our hearts to worship him. So today we're going to have some interaction. Some of you already have your partners picked out. I want you to turn to your neighbor and recount any good thing that God has done in you, through you or around you and encourage each other with what God has done. I'll give you a couple minutes and then we'll come back together make sure that each of you has a time to share. Okay, I'll give you that time right now. Okay, we're gonna bring it back together We're going to bring it back together. I love all the chatter, and I hope you're able to hear some of the stories from each other. We're going to bring it back. Bring it back. You chatty bunch. I told you guys you'd love to chat. Let's bring it back up front. Help your neighbors. No, we're going to bring it back in. Okay, I'm going to keep going here. God wants us. God wants to be our God, but we've sinned, and now his anger is against us. So where do we place our hope? We have to have hope, ladies. This world is void of hope. The Christian walk has hope. And we're going to see that right here. In conjunction with remembering the character of God and his great works, there is an intercessor, a chosen one. Look again at Psalm 106, 23. This is so interesting. Therefore he, God said he would destroy them. Had not Moses, his chosen one, stood in the breach before him to turn away his wrath from destroying them? In Exodus 32, when God sees his chosen people are committing idolatry against him, his wrath burns against them, and he tells Moses he will destroy them for what they've done. And Moses speaks up at that point and reminds God of the covenant he made with their father Abraham, that he would make Israel a great nation. Remember Julie said, our God is a promise-keeping God? That's what Moses is doing here. And he's therefore reminding God of his own character. This is why knowing God's character matters, and God relents. If you're a believer in this room today, you are God's chosen people, the church. And all of us have committed idolatry against our creator. Our greatest hope is that there is a greater chosen one than Moses, a greater chosen one. God's chosen one would be Jesus, who later came, lived a perfect life, died the death we deserved raised to life three days later, proving that he's God, and is the greater intercessor, saving people from God's burning wrath for what we've done against God. We place our hope in Jesus to plead on our behalf because we never could. Isn't that a cool picture of Moses doing that for the people of Israel? And really, Jesus is the greater intercessor, Doing that for the church? That's so beautiful. But what then is our personal responsibility in idolatry? If you're a believer, you have the ability to change. You can change your affections toward God and away from worthless idols. I was sitting with a good friend of mine who's brilliant and went to Stanford at the age of 17. But when what she usually leaves out is... Um, She didn't graduate from college due to her use of drugs. In her own words, it's pretty hard to get good grades when you're high all day. In the morning, she would roll over from bed to her nightstand, grab a joint, and smoke it. Then she'd smoke on the way to class, followed by more smoking throughout the afternoon, finishing off her day with a joint before bed. I listened to her describe the box she kept her weed in. It was an antique cherry wood with an abalone-Japanese-inspired floral design on it. And inside the box, it was lined with velvet green fabric. I could see a piece come over her as she recounted what it was like to just open the box. She had made a treasure box for her treasure. She would spend most of her time, talent, and money on this idol, I know this friend very well today, and she doesn't smoke anymore, so I asked, where's the box? And she said simply and definitively, it's gone. What do you mean it's gone? You love this, thing. you even love the box that it was in. Where, where, do you, where did it go? She said she'd found something better. She gave it up cold turkey, and without a thought or regret, she had met who would be her future husband, and he made it known he wouldn't be with anyone who smoked. Friends, our hope of giving up our idols lies with the Son of God, Jesus. When Jesus is the most beautiful to us, we draw close to him and we want to be with him, and the idols of our life then take their rightful place and become the mundane and not worth our worship. Jesus wants to be the aim of your worship. You are his beloved. He wants to walk with you in your pain. He wants to sit with you in your waiting. And he wants to give you blessings you couldn't ever imagine. Jesus is our fountain of living water in the desert. He will satisfy your every need. Believer, don't forsake Jesus. Living water who is essential to your life. You might say, Laura, I'm a Christ follower, I worship God on Sundays, I don't really know how to identify idols, so I probably don't have any. First I want to say with all love, please don't deceive yourself. Believers have idols that need to be put to death on a regular basis. You'll know an idol in your life is being revealed when someone pokes it. And you become angry, discontent, defensive, or depressed. Maybe it's your health in decline and you gave time and money to the God of fitness to make sure one day this wouldn't be your fate. Or it could be a wayward child and you spent your time and talent as a homeschool teacher to ensure that they would follow God when they were older. It might be a church that you spent your time, talent, and treasure building. Now they're looking to make some changes. The the American flag got moved off the stage. The bulletin is electronic. And they've changed the service time. And you don't deserve to feel this uncomfortable. Unfortunately, these are real-life examples of things that, although can be really good desires, can take over our motives, behaviors, and actions rather than making our aim to please God. We're going to take some time to allow God to reveal idols in our life that we have. Um, These can be physical idols, like we mentioned before, food, drink, sex, family, or they can be idols of our heart, comfort, expectation, control. I provided a list of things However, this list is not exhaustive. Um, So, for each of these, I'll have you ask yourself these three questions at the top Am I willing to sin to get this? Number two, am I willing to sin if I think I'm going to lose this? Number three, do I turn to this as a refuge and comfort instead of going to God? So I'm gonna give you a few minutes to look over this list and mark down anything that you think might be an idol in your life. Go ahead and do that now. Okay. If we truly understand our desires, we can confess those desires to God before they birth into action And we can repent or turn from these desires that are of our flesh. You may have been feeding your desires for decades, like some of the examples that I gave earlier. These are still desires that Jesus can handle, and he already knows about them. He wants to be with you, and he wants your greatest desire to be with him, to be satisfied by the creator instead of the created. We can't do anything on our own spiritually. We can't. So we're going to take some time to confess our idols that we acknowledged on our paper. Or maybe it's something that the Holy Spirit has been revealing to you already before you even came up to Hume Lake. Confession is our agreement that we've sinned against God. It's our agreement with God. He already knows that we've sinned. So when we confess, we're simply saying that we miss the mark of worshiping him alone. This time of confessional prayer can look something like this. God, I realize that I've been placing acceptance of others before you. I've been going to it for comfort, and I'm actually needing your peace that surpasses all understanding. I pray that you would start to change the desire of my heart, that I would see you as more precious than this idol. Confession should be a part of our Christian walk, ladies. Whenever we see that we've missed the mark, we should be eager to confess to God so that we can continue to walk with him. You can get back together with your partner for this time of confession. If you want to do this part alone, that's okay. You can just look at your partner and be like, no, not right now. Just give him the nod. Okay? Know that when you confess your sin and you bring it to light, that healing can begin. Okay, so I'm going to give you a few minutes. You can do this together or you can do this alone. I'll give you a few minutes to do uh, some confession of prayer. Go ahead. These, we're going to bring it back together again. I'm glad you've had some time to confess with your partner. Again ladies this should ladies this should be a common practice in our christian walk confession of when we've missed the mark should be a common practice in our christian walk all right once we've identified idols in our to we want to acknowledge that Jesus is better We got to acknowledge he's better. And like my friend, we do something about it. So, this is the practical part of putting our sin to death. If our allegiance is to God, there has to be action taken. On the next portion of the worksheet, you'll see the Idolatry Repentance Plan of Action. Long title. This exercise mirrors the put-off, put-on that is instructed in Ephesians 4, 22 to 24. So let's read this together. Number one, be specific and not abstract or vague. We're talking about the put-off and the put-on. Number two, make the goals attainable. Be realistic, ladies. If you put down goals of something that you think you will do, but you won't hit it, you're not gonna do it. And you're gonna feel like you wanna quit. So make your goals attainable. Number three, be positive and not merely negative. So not merely, I won't be critical of my son anymore, but I will express appreciation for at least two things every day about my son, okay? So not merely negative, but positive. The Bible talks about replacing sinful behavior, replacing it, not just stopping wrong behavior. I love that. Okay, so let's do an example together. You'll see uh, this page right here with the idol number one. So what you'll do is you'll choose one of the checked boxes, one of the checked idols that you have. But let me give you an example of what this might look like. So an example that I'm going to do is power in the workplace. So thinking of actions to put off power, I might put micromanaging, belittling my subordinates, drawing attention to my strengths and my accolades, keeping information secretive from other people at work. That would be, those would be things that I would put off. Then I need to replace those uh, thinking and actions. And regarding power, I might put for thinking. I've been given authority to do this job. My employees are also made in the image of God. They don't determine the fate of my job. God does. And then regarding power for ways of acting, new ways of acting... Uh, something attainable here. Encourage one employee every day on their strength. or start to train someone portions of my job in case something happens to me. Okay? So from your selected idols, you'll choose one. And if you're not sure what thinking or action to put on, because sometimes we really we know what we should put off, but sometimes it's hard to understand what to replace that with. It's not necessarily going to be the opposite of what you put off. So it's not going to be, you know, putting off hating my sister, putting on loving my sister. It might not be as easy as that. Um, so ask your partner, what, what can I do here? What, okay, I'm putting off hating my sister. What can I put on um, inviting her to Thanksgiving? giving her a phone call, writing her a note, baking her some brownies, encouraging to babysit her children. Okay, you see how that's not the opposite? of Okay. Um, All right, so I'm going to give you a couple minutes to do that portion. So talk with your partner if you need any help. Again, you're just going to choose one today, and then we'll come back together. Go ahead. Okay, ladies, for the sake of time, I understand that this portion of the seminar is going to take a lot longer. So I wanted you to get a taste of the sample of it and talking with each other about some ideas. Um, you You can take this resource, copy it into your journal or on your computer, whatever you'd like, and you can go through all of the idols that you listed there. Okay, so use this as a tool for yourself. Did you find this seminar helpful for you today? Awesome. Good. Good. It's so important that we, again, identify those idols, those things that have taken the place of God, and they need to go back into their rightful place of being the mundane, because God is to be glorified. Lastly, today I want to return to prayer. God is ultimately who we depend on for all things. And as we saw today in Genesis, he wants to bless his people. And as we saw in Exodus, he wants his presence to be among us as well. So let's pray as we close. God, there is none like you. And yet you desire to be with your people And you know that it's good for our souls to worship you. God, turn our affection toward the one who makes the thunder and the rain. Change us to be conformed to the image of your son, Jesus. We humbly submit ourselves to you in awe that you are worthy of worship. Amen. If you're interested in staying for bingo, that will be in this room starting in about nine minutes. So you're more than welcome to do that.